What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, aka The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. And this week, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be a special episode. I know I throw that word around a lot, but I do a lot of special episodes, so what can I say? But this week, we're doing um, what I like to call the year in review. That's right. As you guys know, usually at the end of the year, the beginning of the year, I like to do a little year in review episode where I kind of take a look back at some of the uh, highs and lows of the year for myself personally, and also dive into uh, some other topics of things that took place during the year that I didn't really get a chance to talk about throughout the year because either A, we didn't do a lot of variety shows, or B, when we 
do do variety shows, it's hard to talk about real shit because as you guys know, Zach Scott, the broke soulless ginger, uh, takes part in the variety shows nowadays. And Zach has this thing where he doesn't like to talk about real shit. And to be honest, if I'm being honest here on the Boochcast and I like to be, it's irritating the shit out of me. It really is that I want to talk about real shit on this show. Not all the time. I don't want to overload you guys with it. But from time to time, there's real shit that I talk about on the show. And that's what the variety show is designed for. I don't mind talking about a few hypotheticals and having a few comedic moments from time to time, but sometimes on the show, there comes a point where you got to talk about some real shit going on in the world. And I know that for a lot of Boochcast fans, for some of you, that's what you want. Now, there are some fans that are just here for the wrestling, which I'm totally fine with. This is mostly a wrestling-based podcast. I would expect you not to be here for anything less than the wrestling, which is why we talk a lot of wrestling here on the show. But I like to use the variety show as a way to kind of step away from the wrestling a tiny Tiny bit. We might talk about some things going on on like WWE or something or, you know, the main roster, Raw and SmackDown, because we don't really touch on that here on the Boochcast. And the reason we don't touch on that is because I do the male soap opera moment with Joey Wensler. So I like to save the WWE main roster talk for that show and keep this show focused primarily on NXT and AEW. So obviously that's where a lot of the wrestling talk gets done. And of course, the classic pay-per-view reviews that I do with Gator as well. But the variety show, I talk about, you know, other things. Because there are some people that, you know, complain that we talk too much about wrestling and not enough about other world events. So I figure, okay, for those people who want that shit, here it is. You want my opinion on certain issues? Well, boom. Here you go. Here it is. You fucking asked for it. That's what I tell people. If you get offended, remember, you asked for it. There was a time where I didn't want to talk about this stuff at all. But so many of you clamored for it. And now, every now and then, as Elvis used to say, I got to feed the little birdies. And for the most part, that's been a well-understood concept of the variety show. Everybody knew when they came to the variety show that from time to time, we were going to talk about real shit. When Jerry Truman used to co-host the show with me, he knew from time to time, we'd be talking about some real shit. Elvis, when he took over as a co-host for the part one variety show, he knew at some point we'd be talking about real shit and he gave his opinions and he jumped in and he was willing to go with it even though before that time Elvis and I never really talked about those kind of things but he knew they were going to be coming up so we did them Desmond you know Desmond loves to talk about real shit. He and I he and I still talk about real shit. In fact, he's one of the few people in the whole group of friends that I even talk real shit with outside of wrestling. And we disagree on a lot of things, but we're still friends. Because believe it or not, that's a thing that's possible to do. But Zach, for whatever reason, every time I want to talk about real shit, he would do whatever he could to steer away from that topic. Like, he doesn't want to talk about things going on in the world. He'd rather talk about uh, who's better, Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone. Or, you know, what's your favorite WrestleMania match of all time? Or, you know, what was your favorite finisher that you saw on the indie circuit? Just random shit, which is fine. I don't mind talking about that stuff sometimes. But every now and then, you got to talk about real shit. And Zach always does whatever he can to steer away from those topics, which is going to be an issue if Zach wants to continue doing variety shows going forward. And I have no problem saying this because I'm pretty sure he's listening. So, Zach, if you are listening, if you want to continue to do variety variety shows in 2023 be prepared to start talking about real shit or just stick to the wrestling because that's what that's what john did when he was on the show and obviously i'm not saying anything bad about john i love john i miss him on the show not that zach isn't doing a great job because he is but i do miss john from time to time john didn't like to talk about real stuff so 
So John never did the variety show. He just remained the NXT correspondent and he only came on to talk NXT. And if we did talk about any major events, it's because something happened that affected NXT. So he stayed there. Gator doesn't like to talk about real shit. That's why he only stays in the classic pay-per-view review section and in the AEW section. He's a wrestling guy, just wants to talk wrestling, so he stays in the wrestling bubble. And speaking of the wrestling bubble, as we mentioned last week, uh, we are taking a hiatus from the AEW recaps. Uh, we're going to be taking a break till March 5th when Revolution starts because Gator needs a break and I need a break from the AEW and everything else. Uh, Zach and I are still doing NXT. We're going to be going all the way up to February for um, Vengeance Day. Also, New Year's Evil is going to be next week at the time that you're listening to this episode. So, obviously, they're still going to be going. Lance and I are still going to be doing our thing. Obviously, last week, uh, Lance and I didn't record because uh, Lance was out of town for the holidays. So, this week, we should be starting back up again. So, we're going to be doing a two weeks worth of football to cover. And it's going to be fantastic, as always. So, uh, make sure you guys tune in for our NFL Weekend Review a little later on. And, of course, in the coming weeks, we're going to be having some classic uh, cast uh, segments coming out on this show during the hiatus as a way to kind of get everything officially transferred over from SoundCloud to Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio so we can get everything that we need um, organized and sent out to you guys. So that way, if you guys enjoyed these classic bits, you can check them out again. And if you're new to the Boochcast and you never heard any of these things, well, you can listen to them for the first time and judge things for yourself. If anything, it allows you to see the evolution of the show and also allows you to uh, be entertained with some Boochcast history. Now, as you've seen, the title of this episode is called Getting Back to Being the Booch. And there is a reason why I've chosen this title, and you will figure it out as I go through everything that's gone down in the year 2022 as we get ready to move forward into the year 2023. And I guess the first thing I'll talk about here, one of the highlights for me, was uh, going to the WWE Day 1 uh, pay-per-view event. Uh, this was, of course, um, you know, an event that took place in Atlanta, and uh, I went out and got tickets because I desperately wanted to see this show. But I didn't go to this event alone. Uh, I went with um, a friend of mine by the name of Ty Burton, who runs... Runs um, Ty Style uh, Credit Solutions, which is uh, her credit repair company. She also is, runs the uh, GMT Academy um, that allows uh, people to learn how to, uh, you know, run and start and build their own businesses. It also allows you to uh, get business credit because Ty is very big on not only fixing people's personal credit, but also helping people who run their own businesses build their own business credit. And if you follow us on the Mail Soap Opera moment, you might have seen her logo pop up a few times because uh, when she went with me to the day one event uh, Joey Wensler was generous enough to uh, plug her services for a period of time uh, on the show as kind of a shout out because uh, he knew that Ty was a friend of mine because um, I and I got no problem saying this now but during my time at a HVMA marketing uh, she was actually a client for a period of time um, to my knowledge she is no longer a client now um, but there was a period of time where she was, you know, working with us and we were helping her uh, build her social media and I was helping to, um, you know, manage her accounts. And as I got to know Ty through uh, 
uh, her coming to meetings and everything else. Uh, she and I became friends, um, and I invited her to the uh, WWE Day One event because I found out she was a bit of a wrestling fan. Turns out her son is also a huge fan, so uh, he ended up coming with us. So the three of us went to uh, the WWE Day One event, which was crazy because we were hoping to see Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar in the main event, but Roman Reigns uh, got COVID, so he was not able to compete. So Brock ended up in a fatal five-way match with the WWE title on the line, and Brock Lesnar ended up walking out with the WWE Championship. And of course, uh, Becky Lynch and Liv Morgan had a great match as well for the Raw Women's Championship. Uh, Edge defeated The Miz with that and had an epic brood entrance, which I thought was kick-ass. Beth Phoenix also returned that night, which was epic. We saw RK Bro in the Street Profits, which, I'll be honest, I didn't really enjoy this match. Um, I think her son did, but I didn't. Uh, we had Drew McIntyre and Mad Cat Moss. That was garbage. Uh, but then we had the Usos versus the New Day, which was the first match of the night, but to me was the best match of the night. They had one of the best tag team matches they ever had against each other, uh, which is weird because they fought so many times. So the fact they were able to have a better match uh, than before was great. And it's also when they debuted the One and Done, which is their version of the 3D. I remember I marked out like crazy when I saw the Usos hit the 3D on the New Day for the one, two, three to retain the tag team titles. Now, of course, this is before they unified the belts with RK Bro and became the, you know, undisputed WWE tag team champions. They hadn't unified the belts yet, but still, it was a fantastic pay-per-view. Ty had a great time, and I'll be honest, there was a there was a moment there where I was, you know, um, seriously crushing on Ty, and a part of me wanted to um, go out with her more or date her regularly, but the only reason I never seriously pursued that was because at the time she was a client and I didn't want to mix business with pleasure too much. I mean, just going with her to the show and, you know, us talking, hanging out and everything, it was, I was already kind of blurring that line, but I didn't want to blur it any further. Plus, you know, even at this stage of my life with everything I've done, I don't fully have my shit together. So I didn't think that things would work out. Like I knew I liked her. I don't know if she liked me that way, but with my life the way it is, I didn't want to risk anything, you know, not working out and then having things be awkward while working with her. Now, obviously at this stage of my life, you know, I don't know what can happen. <laughs> you know, maybe someday down the road, if she's still single and I'm still single and the stars align, maybe I'll try to pursue something again. But right now I need to get my own shit together. But overall, it was a great show and I'm glad I went. And speaking of uh, Roman getting COVID, this was also the year where after two years of this virus being a thing and me being essential at the height of this and not catching a goddamn thing, in January of last year, and circle underscore highlight the words last year, I finally got COVID. Yep, the virus finally got to me. Apparently the uh, Omicron variant was a lot stronger than I thought. And it was able to get me. And it got me during MLK weekend, which was the perfect time because that meant that I had an extra day off from work and I could, you know, stay in bed a lot longer and really, you know, fight the virus. Because I caught it on like the Thursday before and basically here's what happened. Um, my dad tested positive for COVID. And this is back when my dad was still living 
at home. He was still living at home. Uh, so when he caught it, we all had to get tested. Myself, my brother, my mom, we all got tested. My brother tested positive, I tested positive, and my mother tested negative. And we were trying to figure out how the fuck she avoided catching this. And it turns out that around the time my dad tested positive, my mother had just recently gotten her booster. So because the booster was still fresh in her system, it was able to fight off the virus. Now obviously, whether you're vaccinated or not, and my father is vaccinated, my brother and I are the only two that aren't. So my dad was vaccinated and still caught this shit. So vaccine or no vaccine, you can still catch it. But because it was still fresh in her system, it was able to fight it off a lot easier. So that's not to say my mother couldn't, God forbid, catch COVID down the road, but she didn't catch it during this time. And really, I'll be honest, when I got COVID, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it wasn't fun. It wasn't glamorous. But the worst thing that happened to me was I just had a really bad cough. Now, I'd had a bad cough for a little while. So that's why the cough didn't really like bother me that much because, you know, I have this thing where I normally get sick at least twice a year. And it usually involves the changing of the weather will usually make me sick. Whether it's the freezing cold weather or allergy season when the pollen is out, I am bound to get sick at least twice a year. So when I get sick, I don't worry about it so much. I just take some medicine, I feel better, and I'm fine. So I'm not quick to assume, oh my god, it's COVID. I don't panic like that. So if my father had never tested positive, I would have never gotten a COVID test. But I was coughing pretty bad one time at work and my boss had finally had enough. So he said, you need to go get tested. You need to go figure this out. So when my dad tested positive, I finally went and went, all right, now I got to get this test. I tested positive. I basically had to work from home for two weeks and I had to do the whole quarantining for five days, which I did. And again, it happened on the Thursday before MLK day. So I was able to stay home, not only stay home longer but stay in bed longer so basically you know thursday and friday i did my work and then saturday sunday monday i was in bed did not leave i basically binge watched a bunch of movies and shows i i watched the movie charming on netflix which is actually a damn good movie and i like the take that it had on um the uh prince charming you know story how it kind of focused on charming how it made charming the same guy in all three of the movies like sleep Beauty, Cinderella, and Snow White. The only difference is they gave in Sleeping Beauty the prince had a name, Prince Philip. But in the other two, he didn't. So that's why I thought it was awkward that they kept calling him Charming, but yet the prince in Sleeping Beauty, who saves her life and breaks the spell, is named Philip. So that's the only aspect of it that isn't really canon. But if you overlook that, it's a kick-ass movie where charming is basically cursed where every girl falls in love with him no matter what so it's hard for him to tell if a girl really loves him or if she's just under the curse and basically he has to break the curse by getting somebody to love him for who he really is and having a true love kiss and if he doesn't all the love in the land goes away forever and it's a hell of a great story if you haven't seen it definitely go watch it uh wilbur valderrama plays charming and he kicks ass at this and it's just it's very entertaining it's one of those things where whether you're a kid or an adult you can still enjoy it and that's what i like about a lot of the animated uh you know movies like that today is they try to make them as much for adults as they are for kids so that way the adult can watch with the kids and not feel like their iq just dropped 20 points 
So I think that's kind of cool. I really do. I enjoy that. So after the whole, uh, you know, staying at home for five days, I did eventually have to, even though my boss didn't want me back in the office for two weeks, Buff still needed my help a lot. So I was basically wearing a mask on the rare moments that I had to go leave the house to go help Buff with anything. So I got through the COVID thing, tested negative, everything worked out great, and I have not caught COVID since. But I will say, like I said, it was not as horrible as everyone makes it out to be. I didn't lose my sense of smell. I didn't lose my sense of taste. None of that. I just had a really bad cough that eventually went away. And I haven't had a lot of coughing moments since then. So the bed rest did definitely help me. But again, I don't think COVID is as scary as everybody makes it out to be. I think it's just a matter of how strong is your immune system. If you have a strong immune system, you'll get past it. If you have a weak immune system, then it could probably kill you. So make sure you have a strong immune system, guys. That's all I can really say about that. And another big moment that I had this year was um, I was managed to get another uh, comedy gig off of Thumbtack. Uh, this time I went to a Valentine's Day comedy show. I was booked to perform and basically I was performing in a garage with a, you know, there was a couple's party at their house and there was basically celebrating Valentine's Day. So I did a lot of relationship humor and I was um, entertaining people. Now, obviously when I book these gigs, I'm talking to people via the phone. I don't really see a lot of faces until I actually get to the show. And what intrigued me the most about this comedy show was the fact that when I answered the door, I was in a, it was a family of all black people. Now, obviously I perform for anybody that's going to book me. And obviously I've been in plenty of situations where I've been around black people and I'm the only white person in the room. So it wasn't something that necessarily made me too uncomfortable. The only aspect that makes me uncomfortable is when I first meet a group of black people, how do they feel about a white guy being in their house or being around them? If they're, if they're cool, I'm cool. If they're not cool, then I'm kind of like, okay, what do I do? So that's really the only aspect of it that makes me nervous is are they going to like me? Are they going to like my comedy? Is it going to work for me? Because there are times where I perform in front of all black crowds and they love what I do. And there's times where I perform in front of all black crowds and they don't like what I do. So it is a little nerve wracking in the beginning. But I will say uh, the couple that booked me, they were very, very kind, very generous and made me feel at home the entire time. They were willing to, you know, let me sit down, you know, if you wanted to eat or drink. And, you know, I was there a little bit early. So they were willing to let to be hospitable and were everybody was talking, making me feel like I'm part of the part of the group, part of the family. And then when it was time for me to perform, they laughed. They had a great time. And then at a certain point, other people wanted to get up and start performing as well. Like the grandma came up and did some bits and she was hilarious. And I didn't care because I was still getting paid regardless. So if they want to come on and do some time, that's great. So I did my one hour of comedy and then I ended up being the MC for the rest of the night because some kids wanted to get up and tell jokes. And I was, anybody that wanted the microphone, I gave it to them. I'm like, cool. So the night ended up being fantastic. And then once the show was over, um, they paid me the money that was owed to me. And then they invited me to stick around. And we all hung out. We played games. We danced. It was a party. We did some drinking, which I don't do often, but I didn't want to be rude. So I did some drinks. And then uh, I, sp I spent the night because I couldn't drive home. And then we had breakfast. We all hung out. We 
talk for a few more hours and then eventually when it was time for me to go home I left and afterwards they wrote me a fantastic review and definitely said they would hire me again so um, I'm not mentioning the family by names I don't know if they want to be mentioned on a podcast or not but I will say they were wonderful people I had a great great time it's one of the best shows I've ever done and I hope someday they'll book me to come perform for them again because anytime they want me I will be happy to perform so it ended up being a fantastic show and then of course another moment that I had this year was was the uh, WWE 2K22 disc fiasco Uh, WWE 2K22 came out and I eventually went over and bought it and then I installed the game go through the process and then all of a sudden I'm stuck in this weird demo mode where I only have eight wrestlers that I can choose from. I can only wrestle in singles matches, and I can only wrestle normal matches. Nothing else on the game is available. So I'm wondering what the fuck's going on. So I go online. I find out I'm not the only person that this has happened to. So I go through the process of what happened. So one guy just kept playing, and then eventually everything kicked in. So I played as a bunch of wrestlers, and I did a couple matches for a period of time. Nothing was happening. So then I delete the game. I reinstall the game to see if that will work. I then wait until it is completely done downloading play the game still same situation and i do this over and over and over again i call customer service they're no help i even went as far as to talk to my brother and say hey uh, are you playing any of these games still on the ps4 and he said no you can delete them if you want so i'm deleting games off of it and then i tried installing it again that didn't work and then finally i did something that i'm now wishing to God I didn't do. I did a total and complete system reset of the PS4. Any previous data that was on that PS4, gone. Deleted. Completely off. Clean slate. I then do a whole new account with my account. I think my brother's account was on there, but thankfully he didn't have anything saved like a P- like a PlayStation monthly fee or anything like that. Uh, so far he hasn't asked for the PS4 back. I don't think he's going to be pissed about it if he is. Well, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it someday. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, I end install the game go through the whole patient process i click on the game and it's still in fucking demo mode so i decide to try one final test to make sure i'm not crazy a couple days later i'm at desmond's house because at this time i was still doing occasional DD games with desmond dungeons and dragons while i'm there i bring the video game and we test it on desmond's ps4 and all i'm thinking is If this shit works on his PS4, I am going to lose my fucking mind. Desmond jokingly says he wants to videotape it. He even went as far as to say, could he keep the game? And I would probably say, you can fucking have it. Because at this point, I am so anti-2K22, it's ridiculous. I even told everybody in the group, don't buy this game, it's a fucking ripoff. So... We go to Desmond's, I test the game, and it goes into demo mode on his PS4 as well. That's when I discover it is the disc. So I go to GameStop, I'm able to find the receipt, thank God, and I exchange the faulty disc for a new disc, just to see if the disc is the problem. Turns out it is. I did all this fucking shit, and it was the disc the whole time. So, 
I installed the disc. Not only did I install it, I even watched the movie Top Gun, the first one, because the second one hadn't come out yet. Although I did see the second one, it was fucking epic. So I watched the first Top Gun. Even though I'd seen the movie before, I'd never seen it from beginning to end in one sitting. So I took this opportunity to do that. And once it was done, the game was done installing and everything was there. And I was finally able to play the fucking game. And I did the My Rise career mode, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> Very challenging, but a lot of fun. So it turns out how the game works is you have four different backstories you can choose from. You can choose to be a gridiron athlete, you know, a football player turned wrestler, because a lot of guys in the business are former football players turned wrestler, like Romy Reigns, Goldberg, The Rock, uh, Baron Corbin. They've all played professional football and then transferred over to wrestling. Then you have the one where you're uh, an independent guy. You know, you wrestled on the indies for so many years and then you eventually come to WWE. Um, you know, a lot of guys done that, like, you know, 90% of the roster. And then you have actor, which is, uh, you know, you did acting and reality TV and all that. And then you come into wrestling. Uh, I can't remember what the other option is, but those are the main three. I chose the actor one because I felt like it's the closest one to me. Like, because I've done, you know, comedy, acting, you know, a bunch of other things in the entertainment world before I came into the world of wrestling as a commentator, announcer, and working with Buff and all that. And it's a fun storyline. You basically have to go through and unlock everything. Unfortunately, I was not able to do that because I made the mistake of leaving the performance center too early. Because I didn't know you had to beat everything in the game. So there may come a day when I go back to my rise and maybe try to unlock everything. But when I did play, it was fun. You know, there's so, you had to you switch from heel to baby face a lot because there's some games you can only play as a baby face. There are some levels you can only play as a heel. There's some where you can be either one they don't fucking care but either way it's a fun game and once you get the hand of it you enjoy it I eventually just actually at the time that I'm recording this I just did this last uh, uh, two nights ago I beat the showcase mode with Rey Mysterio which I was struggling with for quite a while because uh, a lot some of those levels are really hard like I'd say JBL and Batista were the toughest levels for me everybody else was pretty much easy so I managed to get through that I'm currently playing the My Faction levels uh uh, trying to have fun with that because you know I don't get to play video games as often as I used to so anytime I get a chance to you know sit down and play video games I like to do that I like to have fun with that and then of course as the uh the wrestling business continues uh one other um major thing that got to happen to me was going to WrestleCon for the first time ever um, this is when Buff and I flew out to, uh, Dallas, Texas, cause that's where, uh, WrestleMania was. And I got to say going to Texas was a great life experience, you know, going to WrestleCon, you know, seeing a lot of the stars, getting pictures and meeting some cool people like meeting Maven and getting to be friends with him, you know, talking with Charlie Haas was great. Meeting Matt Cardona, you know, it was just, it was a lot of fun, you know, um, going to WrestleCon and meeting a lot of the stars and, you know, making real good money because, you know, Buff, you know, no matter what anybody says about him, he is still very popular at wrestling conventions because fans grew up watching him. But I will say the major highlight for me, and I never thought in a million years I would ever say this, was going to Game Changer Wrestling. 
Now, as most people know, I have been very critical of Game Changer Wrestling. I have two uh, boot shoots on videos where I go in on Game Changer Wrestling during the uh, social distancing match and the Invisible Man versus Invisible Stan match from many years ago um, that I talked about um, on my uh, boot shoots on show. But when I went to Game Changer Wrestling, we went because Buff got booked to be on the um, Spring Break Clusterfuck Battle Royal. Which was being run by Joey Janela, who, as most people know, I am not a fan of. But I knew we were going to be at his show. So being the professional that I am, I said to myself and to everybody that was in the car with us, if Joey's cool with me, I'll be cool with him. If he starts shit with me, I'm going off on him. Because I am not a Joey Janela fan at all. But I am a professional at the end of the day. And Joey and I were civilized around each other. And But we find out that Buff's going to come in at number two with Joey Janela and they're going to do a little have a little fun in the ring and then Joey's going to turn on him with a super kick and eliminate him from the battle royal because Buff is still on the crutch and he needs a knee brace to get around so the whole purpose of Buff getting in the battle royal is to have the legends pop and Buff knows that so he's willing to do the favors now as we're watching the matches beforehand I look down and I realize that that ramp doesn't have any rails or anything and Buff's on a crutch. So I'm worried how he's going to get down the ramp. So I pull Buff to the side and I said, hey, do you need my help to get down that ramp or can you do it by yourself? Now, if he just told me he could do it by himself, I'd have left it at that. But when Buff looked at the ramp, he realized he's going to have a hard time getting down there. So he said, you'll come out with me. And obviously, we need to address the fact that I'm coming down there with him. So Buff tells one of the guys, just mention the butler. Now, the reason he said that was because around this time, early in the year, Buff was filming the reality show, Change or Die, and moved into the accountability crib to basically get clean and sober. And one day, Buff was coming back from a weekend signing, and I was dropping him off at the accountability crib. And they had this thing where every time he came back from a signing or whatever, he had to be drug tested and alcohol tested to make sure none of that is in his system. So while he's in the garage doing the test, I grabbed his bag and took it upstairs to his room. Because obviously, A, I'm Buff's assistant in that regard. And B, you know, he can't carry the bag by himself because of his crutch. So it's easier for me to just take it up for him. So one time, and I think it was Steve Yu who did this, uh, he made a joke saying, hey, you know, maybe when you get back in the ring, you should have Booch come out to the ring and be your butler. And we laughed. And it was a good inside joke amongst the team. Well, Buff decides to bring up the butler thing when having me come out to the ring. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to come out as just the butler. That's too plain. So I try to come up with a name to go with it. So I'm thinking about every cool butler name I can possibly think of. Jeeves, Jenkins, Alfred, who was, uh, you know, the butler in Batman. But then all of a sudden, my brain went to an old movie from the 90s with Steve Gutenberg, Kirstie Alley, and the Olsen twins. For those who may not know, the name of that movie is called It Takes Two. And I loved this movie as a kid. And I remember in the movie, there was a butler. Because in the movie, there's uh, the Olsen twins play two completely different people. One who's growing up in an orphanage. The other one's growing up in a rich family. And they have a butler, like most rich families do. And the butler's name was Vincenzo. Which, of course, Vincenzo is my name, Vincent, in Italian. So Vincenzo 
worked perfectly. So immediately, I come up with Vincenzo the Butler. Now, right when I come up with this idea, the ring announcer for GCW just so happens to walk by. So I immediately grab him and pull him to the side. And I say, hey, uh, I need to talk to you. He said, okay. He knows I'm with Buff, so he's cool. I said, hey, um, you, did you get uh, all Buff's information? He goes, yeah, I got it down. He said, I need you to add one more thing to his entrance. I said, because of Buff's, you know, crutch and everything, I'm going to be coming down to the ring with him. So I need you to say when you do, when you go through his intro, make sure you include being accompanied to the ring by Vincenzo the Butler. He says, Vincenzo the Butler? I go, yeah, Vincenzo the Butler. And he says, got it. He goes, I'll remember. I said, all right, thanks, brother. And he takes off. So later on, we get to the main event. Joey Janela's coming out, doing his thing, getting his heat. All of a sudden, number two. And we play the American Males theme song to get the crowd singing, you know. American Males, American Males, American Males, American Males, American Males, American Males, American Males. If you see them coming, better run for cover. Girls, you don't need a weekend lover. American males. And the crowd is singing. They're clapping. Everything's going crazy. I come out. I'm pointing at Buff. I'm singing with them. And then eventually I come around and he grabs my shoulder and he grips really hard because he's trying to keep himself balanced. And we walk down the ramp. And of course, Joe Janela's la pointing and laughing. Look at the bald guy. <laughs> By the way, this is on my YouTube channel if you want to check it out. It's called Vincenzo the Butler Makes GCW Debut. Now, of course, even though I'm not a Joey Janela fan, we're doing kayfabe storyline. So I'm letting all this go for professional for professional reasons and buff talks to the camera he's doing his thing and of course the announcer goes now entering at number two be accompanied to ringside by vincenzo the butler and then all of a sudden you hear the commentators go btb and you, which i love and i've definitely kept that under wraps uh in case i uh ever become vincenzo the butler as a manager which we're still hoping will happen at some point but and of course uh gator added the uh clean and pristine line that's why i would say things like i am clean i am pristine i am vincenzo the butler btb and that's kind of how I would do the gimmick. So, of course, after this, Buff and I are looking around. And it's at this moment that we realize there are no ring steps. And my first thought is, who the fuck orders a ring without fucking steps? So now we have to dig under the ring, get a steel chair. Me and one of the other handlers has to help get Buff into the ring. We get him in and, you know, Joey's doing the strut and the dancing and Buff's clapping along with him. Then he hits the super kick. As he's super kicked, I noticed one of the lenses in Buff's sunglasses, because he was still wearing shades at the time, pops out and hits the floor. I managed to grab the lens just in time before the ref slides past me, goes one, two, three, and Buff's eliminated. So I put the lens in my pocket. So Buff, as he's being carried to the back, if you look real closely, one of the lenses in his shades is missing. So it looks just as funny that he's like, you know, being all loopy and shit from the super kick as we're carrying him to the back. Once we get to the back, one of the wrestlers comes over, picks him up to set him back down again because he's having a hard time getting down the ramp, the stairs and everything. And then we put the lens back in. We chill for the rest of the night and... 
I will say this. The overall show made me revise my opinion on Game Changer Wrestling. Now, even though I'm still not a fan of death matches and there's still a lot of silly shit they do that I will never endorse, I can at least say that GCW knows how to put on a show. They are organized, their production is superb, and when the wrestlers try, they can put on great matches. Like seriously, just about every match on the card was a well done match. There was believability, there was psychology, there was storytelling, the people knew how to work. Like when they actually try, they put on a great show. So I have a newfound respect for GCW after being a part of this. And if Buff ever gets a chance to work with them again, I would love to go back and work with them again. I would be open to that. Like I said, I have a newfound respect for GCW. They're actually very, very good, you know, when they're not doing the goofy shit. So then, of course, in the midst of all this, we eventually fly back to Atlanta. And, you know, I take away this great experience. And I hope to go to WrestleCon uh, in a few months, you know, when WrestleMania comes back up again. I know this year it's probably going to be in uh, California because that's where WrestleMania is. So if Buff and I end up flying out to California, that would be awesome. So I look forward to hopefully uh, doing that. Then, of course, another big highlight um, for this year for me was when Buff and I did what I like to call the Tennessee Loop. Basically, we drove out uh, to Belfast, Tennessee, which is a long-ass drive, because Buff was emceeing a death metal concert. So we had a gimmick table set up where people would get merch from him, but he would also go and emcee the show. So we're watching some great, great musicians. Some of these guys were great. Some of them were like, what the hell? But overall, it was a very fun experience. One band in particular that stood out to us was San Pedro. And the reason they stood out to us the most was because they did a Green Day cover. And because of these long road trips that Buff and I have taken, we've learned over time what each of our musical tastes are. Like, I would put playlists together of, like, you know, old rock and roll, because I know Buff is into rock. And we've also listened to, you know, the last couple times we've driven together recently, we've listened to other bands and everything else that are more modern. But I was always picking classic stuff because I didn't know where Buff was on the modern music scale. So I figured, hey, we picked different rock songs. And there was one song by Green Day, which we both happen to be fans of Green Day. And the song, I, I can never remember the title of it, but I know the lyrics. It's basically, do you have the time to listen to me whine? That song. So we're listening to that in the car. And that was one of the first songs where Buff and I discovered, whoa, we both really like this song. We get there, the San Pedro guy does a cover of this song. So Buff and I start marking out immediately. So we're enjoying all the rock bands. We're having a great time. We're in this random ass place, but Buff doesn't care. He's making $1,200 for this. And then after we finish that gig, we drive all the way from Belfast, Tennessee to Memphis for the Memphis wrestling show. And this is a lot of fun too. Um, you know, we, we're, we're doing autograph signings and they're doing multiple TV tapings in one sitting. So Buff and I were on the last taping. Well, I will say Buff was on the last taping. I wasn't on the show. Uh, we tried to see if we could get me on the show or if we could do something in the future where we could bring in Vincenzo the butler. But um, either way, it was a fantastic night. Um, great day of shooting. And I got to meet a lot of the Memphis wrestling guys. And they did a hell of a great job. They have a hell of a great show. If you go to their Memphis wrestling YouTube channel, they're still putting out great shows. And you will 
definitely be entertained by what they do. They are a phenomenal, talented group of people. So it was a blast. We ended up having a blast. And then after that, we drove all the way uh, back to Georgia, just cranking out tunes the whole car ride home. And that was one of the times where Buff and I got to really bond over music. Because before that, we never really talked a lot about what we liked musically. We would just play music, or most of the time, Buff would be asleep and I would be driving. So this is one of the rare, this is one of the rare moments where we're both wide awake on the car ride home, jamming out to music, finding out what our likes and dislikes are, and it was a really good bonding experience for me and Buff. So I really enjoyed that weekend trip. It was a hell of a great, great time. And speaking of Tennessee, I spent a lot of time in Tennessee this year. Whether it was wrestling shows with Buff or comedy shows on my own. Like, I ended up doing a mansion house party. Um, and, I, and so this one was an interesting one because I'm in here with this um, Indian family who books me for a show. And, of course, by Indian, I mean, you know, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, this is Sanjay. Like, that, that kind of Indian family. Um, and this is another one of those shows where I'm like, okay, how is this going to go? Now, the family was very friendly, very nice. Um, some of the jokes they laughed at, some of the jokes they didn't laugh at. Some people were paying attention, some people weren't. I think at one point a baby started crying. But I'm basically doing my best to get through the set. But I never felt more awkward and uncomfortable. So I do the time, the guy pays me, I pack up everything, I leave. Uh, apparently they didn't like the last joke that I told. I was doing the, the mustache joke. And they weren't offended because anybody was wearing a mustache. They were offended because I said the word pedophile. And here's the thing that I'm going to say about this that kind of bugged me. Because the joke, basically here's how the joke goes. I talk about how, you know, I used to have a mustache, but I shaved it off. Which is true. But then I do a whole bit about how, like, I really like the mustache. I still remember when I got it. It came in a box set with a rickety van and a list of elementary school addresses. And I go, okay, I know that can make some people uncomfortable. But here's the thing. Here's why I say that. There was a time in history where people had mustaches and it was the cool style to have. All the celebrities have one. But nowadays, when you wear a mustache, people think one thing and one thing only. Pedophile. That's it. I said, which I thought was a bunch of crap until this morning I looked in the mirror and I offered myself a piece of candy. At that moment, I was like, this stash has got to go. That's the whole joke. That's literally it. I say the word pedophile, but I don't go into detail about pedophilia. And here's the thing. I'm not saying anything that isn't true. Like, back in the 70s, when you had a mustache, people thought you were a porn star. In the 80s, almost everybody had a mustache that was famous. People loved mustaches. Today, nobody does. Anytime you see somebody with a mustache, people immediately start making pedophile jokes. Everybody does it. It's happened in movies, pop culture, real life, everything. People, when I had a mustache and I was working on the regular guy's show, they literally called it the pedo stash. That was the nickname it was given. So I'm writing this joke based on life experience. Now, the this one lady, and I now, again, I'm a professional when I do shows. So she was offended by the fact that I said the word pedophile. So I apologized to her. I did. I gave her my apologies. I was very sincere with my apologies. I did not want to offend anyone. But in the back of my mind, here's why it bothered me. Because she said, now we have kids asking us what a pedophile is. They want us to explain to them what a pedophile is. And I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to put you in this uncomfortable situation. They eventually they said, other than that, you were hilarious. I said, thank you. So the guy paid me. I got my car. I packed everything up. And he even said that they would be doing something uh, sometime this year. I should say 2023. They were going to be doing a party in Miami. And they might invite me to come out and perform in Miami. And pay for my accommodations and everything. Now, whether or not this person is actually going to do that, I don't know. I hope he does. 
Vegas because I'd like to go to Miami. I'd like to make some money and I'd like to entertain and have a good time. So hopefully it does happen. But as I was driving home, all of a sudden it hit me. Why would that make you uncomfortable as a parent for your child to ask you what a pedophile is? Isn't that something a child should know? I'm just saying, if you're going to explain to people what a pedophile is, wouldn't the best time to explain it be during a time when they would actually be victims of a pedophile? Why would you want to wait till someone is an adult to tell them what a pedophile is? By the time they're an adult, they no longer have to worry about pedophiles. Hell, I learned about pedophiles when I was a child. Now, my mother might not have come straight out and said they were pedophiles. They covered it up by the whole thing of don't talk to strangers. Like, you know, if you're walking down the street and an adult tells you, hey, kid, do you want some candy? Which is where the piece of candy bit comes in. You don't go near the car if you don't know somebody or unless they know your secret code word. Because that's it. Our parents gave us a code word that we use. And for me to get into a car with an adult that I don't know, my they would have to know that code word. If you don't know the code word, I'm not getting in your car. I need to hear you say the code word. Now I'm an adult, so I'll probably say it now. When I was a kid, our code word was pumpkin. So if you were an adult when I was a kid and you wanted me to get in your car, you had to say, my mom told me to come get you. Your code word is pumpkin. I then knew, get in the car. You spoke to my mother. That's why we were never supposed to tell anyone what the code was. They had to guess it. So there you have it. So that bothered me though. Like you, your kids should know what a pedophile is so they know to stay away and not go near one. Don't get into cars with strangers. You know, that's why you yell stranger danger and run and shit like that just bugged me that a parent was uncomfortable explaining to their child what a pedophile is so i thought that was stupid other than that the show went great got paid did what i had to do then of course another major moment that happened and i might be jumping ahead out of order but i'm going to talk about this um was reconnecting with lance goodman was another great major highlight for me and the reason that it was is because Lance is somebody that I've been friends with for a long time. If you remember the Boochcast during the Blog Talk radio days, you know Lance Goodman. He came on the show, but he only at the time, he only came on a couple of times a year. He wasn't a weekly segment. We would bring him on at the beginning of the season, the end of the season, the end of the playoffs, the end of the conference titles, and the Super Bowl. we bring him on like three, four times a year. Because at the time, we weren't really hell-bent on talking football a lot. Nowadays, we are. But I liked having Lance on the show. And for years, I've been trying to get him back on. But our schedules were always out of whack. You know, I was doing TV and wrestling. And Lance was doing his own things. We just never really aligned. Then Lance moved to Atlanta. He started running regular shows at the Folding Warehouse once a month. And doing football watch parties. So we reconnected. And we got to see each other in person for the first time. Which was great. And then we started collaborating again. Like he wanted to do some wrestling stuff with me. We wanted to have him back on for the football segment. So we would bring him on weekly and start doing that. Now, obviously, we were a little late in the season doing that because, again, things will need to be organized and put together and everything. But now that we got a groove going, I'm sure for the upcoming 2023 season that'll happen in September this year, because obviously we're about to wrap up this football season here. We're about a month away from the Super Bowl. Um, so I'm thinking next year we'll definitely be more prepared. But having Lance back on the show has definitely been a lot of fun. It's, a, it's gotten me to pay
pay more attention to football than I ever have before. Now he's on a weekly basis. That's why I'm watching a lot more football highlights and taking my own notes. Because obviously, you know, the way the segment works is Lance is the football expert. I'm kind of coming in from the casual football fan standpoint. That's why sometimes I have a lot of questions that you would expect a football fan to know, but I don't. Or I try to come in with like different perspective on things or try to bring my own spin. But as far as breaking things down and analyzing, that's where Lance comes in. Because he's better at that than I am. He breaks down football the way I break down wrestling, which is why I like having him on the show. And he definitely makes football entertaining to talk about. Now, there is one other major moment that went down in 2022, but I'm not real comfortable talking about it at this current point in time because it's an incident that I'm keeping on the down low while I fix it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip that for this episode, but when I get to a point where I'm finally comfortable talking about it, I will be bringing it up on a future episode. Whether it be a future variety show or at the beginning of one of the recaps or whatever. Like sometimes on the recaps I talk about, I might talk about a major event or two to throw something in there. But right now I'm just going to keep that on the down low because I don't know who might be listening to this episode. And I don't need this particular information going public just yet. But one thing I will discuss that's a little on the controversial side is there was a period of time where Buff and I kind of took a break from each other. Um, obviously, there was a lot of um, crazy shit that went down and we kind of just needed to separate for a bit. Um, for a period of time uh, during that separation, I honestly didn't think we were ever going to work together again. But obviously we did and I will get to that part of it in a moment. But basically, um, here's what happened. And I know I can talk about this because obviously a lot of this stuff has been in the public eye. So it's not like I'm saying anything that was meant to be kept under wraps so I can go into it. Um, as some of you guys know, as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, Buff was doing Change or Die. And, you know, part of the goal of that was for him to get clean and sober. Well, during the filming of the show, he was clean and sober four days a week. And and then during the three days that he was off the show, because he'd be traveling and out of town and all that, he, not, he was not clean and sober. Now, in the beginning, he was, or at least he was when I saw him. Because during this time, he was mostly doing gigs that were out of state. So I was usually just taking him to the airport and picking him up. And during those times, he didn't have anything with him. I didn't see anything with him. So whatever he did while he was out of town was unbeknownst to me. But it wasn't until, and this is the first time I've ever talked about this on my own accord. But it wasn't until one day he was going to get his Xanax prescription. Now, before I continue this story, I want to preface and make this clear so there's no misunderstanding. What I'm talking about right now took place last year. Since Buff has been out of rehab, he has been completely clean and sober. As you've seen in the videos where he's like 120 days sober. He is sober now. 
This story that I'm telling is from last year. Want to make that clear. Now, if you saw the YouTube video on the DDP Yoga YouTube channel from two months ago where Buff talked about his recovery and, you know, him going to rehab and everything else, he mentions the Xanax in the video. How he kept telling himself he had to have a Xanax in order to go to sleep. But learned in rehab, he didn't. They taught him a different way. Well, he wasn't lying when he said that he honestly believed he needed Xanax to go to sleep. Because he was going to get his Xanax prescription, but the doctor's office was closed. So he wasn't able to get his pills. His anxiety went through the roof the rest of the day. And we went out to get some dinner. And that was the first time since he had gone in to the accountability crib for Change or Die that I personally saw him with alcohol. He said, look, I just, he said, I've been, I've been behaving myself. Just let me have this one. My anxiety's through the roof. This, I promise this won't happen again. And I was so freaked out that I just didn't say anything. And I let it go. And I literally saw him become a different person without the Xanax. Like, it freaked me out. Like, he didn't go to sleep that whole night. He had an early morning flight that I had to take him to. I went to sleep like a couple hours. I woke up. He was still standing in the kitchen, just staring at his phone. And he was, like, babbling or something. It was weird. Like, it it scared me. But eventually, we were able to get him back to normal and get him on the plane and get him to the show. And, and I know a lot of people are gonna give me shit and I've already given me shit for keeping my mouth shut but at the time I just didn't know what to do and I didn't want to risk getting Buff in trouble or getting him kicked off the show so I just let it go and wrote it off as it was gonna be a one-time thing and I figure okay it's it's a one-time thing he made a mistake it's not gonna happen again or so I thought because I was ignorant to how serious everything was because even though people have said that Buff has had a problem, I never really noticed the problem. And maybe it's just because I'm ignorant to someone being on pills because I've never really seen it. Like, I've seen people who are fucked up and I've always seen it to an insane extent. With the exception of this Xanax moment, I had never seen an insane extent, really, with Buff. In fact, of all the shows we had worked together in 2022, even 2021 for that matter, when I first started working for him, we only had one show, just one, where Buff had shown up in a condition not to perform. And thankfully he wasn't performing, he was just signing autographs. But we were still able to get through the show. I walked him through it, I got the fans there, I was able to get everything working out, and I was able to get him home where everything was okay. But other than that, even if Buff was exhausted in the car and passed out, he had always been able to, as his, he would say, kick out by the time we got to the show. So I had never seen the incident affect his work, which is why before he got into Change or Die, I never really questioned anything about him. I figured, well, whatever he did on his personal time was his time. As long as he was able to get the work done, or we were able to get the work done that we had to do, that was all that mattered. Because I didn't know how serious it was, because I didn't. And people can say I'm stupid, people can say I'm ignorant, you can say whatever you want about me. But I'd only seen him like severely fucked up like a small handful of times. And I'm not trying to justify anything. I'm not trying to say that it's okay for him to be on anything because it's not. I'm glad that he's sober. I'm happy that he's sober. I wanted him to get on Change or Die so he could be sober. I am happy and proud of Buff. Scratch that. I'm happy and proud of Marcus for getting sober and staying on the right track. I am so happy 
I'm just saying at the time, I didn't, before he got on Change or Die, I didn't feel like it was my place to say anything. Because I have had friends and people I know in the past that have been addicts. I Hell, I dated a girl years ago who was an alcoholic. And I've learned that you can say whatever you want. You can give all the advice that you want. You can beg and plead all you want. But at the end of the day, that person has to want to quit. And if they don't want to quit, all that begging and pleading is just white noise. Then one day, uh, Buff called me about uh, flying out to a show and wanted to see if I would take him to the airport, which of course I said I would. It's one of the time and everything. But then somebody else offered to take him, so he told me not to worry about it and that he would give me a shout later on. I said, sounds good. Okay. So he hung up the phone. I go back to work. Three hours later, my phone rings and it's DDP. And he called to tell me that I was not going to hear from Marcus for a while and that Buff was going into rehab, which threw me off guard because I didn't know because Buff told me he was going to call me later that day. And then all of a sudden, three hours later, I'm getting a phone call from Dallas saying he's in rehab. So my brain's just kind of going, what, what, the, the, what? And he basically told me when Buff gets out of rehab, I need to decide whether I want to help him stay sober or if I want to continue to enable him, as he called it. And I'm going to be honest, at the time, I was offended by that. And the reason I was offended by that was because when he was talking about the other people, and I won't name drop them on the show, that fell into the enabler category, these were people who were actually toxic and were actually enabling him. See, to me, enabling would imply that I'm okay with Buff being on pills or being on alcohol. And here's the thing, I'm not okay with it at all. But I also, at the same time, am aware that Buff is a 52-year-old grown man who at the time of this recording will be 53 next week. So whether I'm okay with it or not, he's a grown adult. If he's gonna do it, he's gonna do it. There ain't shit I can do about it. As I mentioned before, you can say whatever you want, but if the person doesn't want to quit, they're not going to quit. And I'm also stuck in another situation because I also work for Buff. I mean, yeah, we're best friends. He cares about me. I care about him. But I also was an employee. I'm not going to tell the person who's paying me money how to live their life. I'm not in that position. Or at the time, I felt like I wasn't in that position. Now I realize I am. I can now talk to him about things like this. But at the time, I wasn't comfortable telling Buff how to live his life. So I was stuck in that conundrum. But in no way, shape, or form was I okay with him being high or drunk. In fact, I'll even say this. I was the one who convinced Marcus to do Change or Die. Because even though he had talked to Dallas and he agreed to do it, and we had people coming over to film him for uh, you know, an interview to talk about him doing the show, there was a period of time where he was having reservations about doing the show. And the reason he was having reservations was because, A, you know, obviously he was doing a TV show, so people were getting paid not an insane amount of money, but enough money to be on a show. And also, Buff had to cancel a lot of his bookings to do that show. There were certain gigs we had to cancel and pull out of so he could commit to the show. Now, obviously, there were some gigs that were making him a lot of money, and Dallas understood that, so he let him do those. But for the most part, he had to have open availability. We had to cancel a couple things. So Buff was having reservations, and I was the one that told him, I said, look, I said, you need this. Not just to get clean and sober, but it'll also help your career because people will see that you're getting clean, you're getting sober, you're working with Dallas. So 
your bookings will go up and more people want to hire you and you'll make more money down the road. So don't sacrifice the long-term goal for a short-term gain. And as soon as I said that, his eyes lit up and he went, wow, I never thought of that. And that's what gave him the confidence to go do the show. So I have been behind Marcus from the very beginning. I have had his back as a manager, as a friend, as a fan, I am happy that Marcus is better. I've wanted him to get better. And for someone, anyone to insinuate or imply that I wouldn't want that upset me at the time. And then I also realized I'm stuck in the middle in this scenario because one of three things is going to happen. Either A, he stays sober, never touches another pill or alcohol again, and everything's great. Or two, God forbid, and circle, underscore, highlight the words God forbid, because I don't want this to happen. But God forbid, he relapses again. I tell Dallas, Buff gets mad, and I'm the best friend who stabbed him in the back. Or, the option three, he relapses, God forbid, I say nothing, and I'm the guy who's enabling his drug habit. So it's like, either way, I was getting fucked. So that's when I knew I just needed to step away. Now, that wasn't the only reason that I stepped away. There was another reason, and that other reason was the return of who we call on the show, Voldemort. Now, those of you who are close to this scenario or close to me, you know who Voldemort is, but I'm calling him Voldemort because I don't want to give him any uh, name recognition on this show. But Voldemort is someone from my past who I desperately want to stay in my past, but somehow, some way, when I least expect it, he finds a way to slither in his way back into my present. And even though I was told at the time he would not be in the picture, I discovered while picking Buff up for a show that he was back in the picture. And to say that I was unhappy about it is to say the Atlantic Ocean is damp. In fact, the second I heard he was back in the picture, I was ready to walk away right then and there. But I didn't. And the reason that I didn't is because Buff had treated me so well. Buff has been nothing but fantastic to me. I don't have an unkind word to say about Marcus Bagwell in any way, shape, or form. He has done so much for me. And since we started working together again, he's done even more for me. And I, I can't be any more grateful to him than I already am. He's always paid me on time for the work that I've done. He's always treated me with respect. And he's always had my back. And he's one of the few people I've met in the wrestling business that I know is trustworthy and on the level. So out of respect for Buff, I was like, okay, against my better judgment, I'm going to see where this goes. And as long as I don't have to be around Voldemort as much, as long as the interactions can be an absolute minimum, I'll be okay with this. But then things slowly started to unravel. Like it got to a point where I was now having to constantly communicate with Voldemort. I even had to unblock his number, which I had blocked a long time ago because he was now back in the fold. And I was having regular conversations with him to the point where Buff had stopped talking to me on a regular basis. Uh, his niece, for some reason, had stopped talking to him on a regular basis. And now Voldemort was now being their messenger. Every time he would call me, he would say, uh, you know, John asked me to call you or Marcus asked me to call you. And I've had to sit on the phone with this guy who I didn't want to talk to and I didn't want to be around. And as soon as Buff went into rehab, he definitely became the main point of contact. And
And at that point, I was just like, I can't take this anymore because of the negative history that I've had with him and the fact that he's the one person that I have to talk to and he's the only person on this whole team that I don't want to talk to. So that was another reason why I finally decided to step away from the whole thing because I wanted absolutely nothing to do with him. And then the other piece of drama that we had was, of course, and I'm, I haven't talked about this publicly. I've dropped bits and pieces of it, but I have to say it. Here it is, the Michael Long controversy. Now, for those of you who may not know, Michael Long was the person that, for about a year, was working with Buff on the podcast, Rebuilding Buff. And at the time, Michael was co-hosting a podcast with him. I would help set it up, because at the time, Buff wasn't able to set up podcasts on his own. Now he does everything through his phone, so he's a lot more self-sufficient in that area. But I would always set the podcast up, then go somewhere else, and they would record. Then, as time went on, I would make appearances on the Rebuilding Buff podcast, and because he was part of the team, Michael and I would talk here and there and at first everything was going great uh, Michael and I had good conversation we found out that we had a lot in common at the time you know we both worked in radio we're both comedians we both love wrestling we both done commentary there was even a time in the early days of the rebuilding buff show that Michael and I even talked about doing some shows together in the future so at the time we we got along you know I wouldn't say we were the best of friends we weren't bros but we got along and I didn't have an unkind word to say about him until shit started to unravel and eventually at some point he ended up helping out with the Twitter page and Buff decided to let uh, Michael be part of it I came to find out later that he had been going behind my back and over my head saying oh you're not doing a whole lot on Twitter let me take that over I'll help you out which and I'll be honest at the time I wasn't really paying much attention to social media but that's because I was helping Buff with everything else the day to day operations of how we did things mailing out merch uh, taking him to shows helping him set up podcasts running errands like I was helping Buff around the clock like I was around him many many days even with something simple as helping him get up ramps or up the stairs because of you know the fact that his leg was in really bad shape at the time obviously he's healing up wonderfully today but in the early days he was having hard times moving around and sometimes he needed help getting places and needed help you know moving around the house or help just getting up and that was another reason why I took offense to the fact that people felt like I didn't care about Marcus's health or well-being because I was the guy that was helping him, you know, get around, helping him get dressed, getting him to shows. In fact, when his mom, Judy, when she passed away, and I don't know if I mentioned this during last year's year in review, uh, but I'll mention it here. I was actually with Mark when he went to visit his mom the night before she died. Because at the time, the transmission in his old car was busted. And he had a feeling his mom wasn't going to make it through the night. Obviously, she didn't. He was right on that. So he asked me, can you please take me to go see her? We got in the car. We went to go see her. You know, we and then, of course, the nurses at first wouldn't let us go in and visit, which caused Marcus to get a little heated. So I calmed everyone down. I got us in there and I watched him hold his mom's hand while talking to her. And I even saw him pull his mask down briefly because we all had to wear masks and be layered up because COVID was rampant at the time. But he pulled his mask down briefly so she could see his face. And I actually saw her smile and go, hi, Marcus. Like I saw that. I damn near almost started crying. And I'm watching him talk to his mom and have conversations 
and everything. And then finally he said goodbye when it was time for us to leave. And we got in the car, we went home. And then the next day, Judy passed. So Marcus got to have that closure. And I was with him through that. So occasionally I was posting stuff to social media, but not often. So Michael decided to take over the Twitter. And that's when the whole fucking thing went off the rails. And the reason was because the way Michael does Twitter is he is a leftist, snowflake, cookie cutting, people pleasing kind of tweeter. He basically posts stuff that basically blends in with the crowd to get likes and get attention. So basically on social media, he's an attention-seeking whore. Which is fine if that's why you're using social media for attention. But if you're using social media to run a business, you have to operate things differently. Also, there's one concept about running a social media account that Michael doesn't understand. I know this because of my years working as a social media manager. When you run somebody else's account, the purpose of running that account is to make people believe that when you tweet something on that account, that it's that person saying those words. That's why when you manage someone else's account, you have to be them. You have to think like them. You have to talk like them. You have to have in that moment, the same beliefs that they have. You don't go on someone else's social media account and tweet your thoughts and your opinions and your point of view. That's not how you run someone else's account. But that's how Michael was running Buff's account. And people found out very quickly, very fucking quickly, that Buff wasn't running that page. Because he was posting his leftist, libtard beliefs. He was critiquing wrestling and wrestlers, most of which Buff didn't know about because nowadays Buff watches a lot of modern wrestling. But for a period of time, he didn't. Like he would be sharing thoughts on indie matches with people that Buff had never even heard of. And Buff would have to sit there and go, yeah, I remember that match. So the guy doesn't feel bad or he doesn't look stupid. Because Michael just went rogue with the goddamn Twitter account. And I first noticed a red flag when Michael started posting stuff about Buff getting into deathmatch wrestling. Like, Buff Daddy's getting into deathmatch wrestling. And I'm sitting here going, since when? As I mentioned before, I'm working with Buff practically every day. Not once has he said to me he wanted to get into deathmatch wrestling. So what do I do? I see this tweet. I call Buff immediately. And he says to me that apparently him and Michael had talked about doing deathmatch wrestling. And he was thinking about it. And there was even some death daddy stuff. And he did a couple indie shows where he made a few cameo appearances with like a staple gun or whatever. So apparently Buff really was considering it. So because of that, I assumed, and this is my mistake, I'll take responsibility for this, that every time Michael was putting out a tweet, he was running it by Buff, which is what you should do if you're managing someone else's account. Well, apparently, Michael only talked about that one little thing. Next thing you know, he starts posting insane LGBT beliefs. He starts putting his political beliefs on there. And every time somebody would debate him, not even yell at him, but debate him, Michael would do what most snowflake libtards do. He labeled them, insulted them, and even started blocking them. Talking about, Buff Daddy does not stand for this bigotry. That's usually what liberals say when they can't win a fucking argument. They just label you and insult you and accuse whatever you're saying as bigotry because they have nothing intelligent 
to say. That's kind of the trick. And it's Michael's MO, as we would later learn. And here's the thing. When it comes to the LGBT community, Buff is supportive. But he's not over-the-top, insane supportive the way Michael was preaching. You know, Buff is somebody who, like most people, is trying to learn and understand the LGBT community. And there were a lot of people who were following the page that were LGBT because they were buying into what Michael was saying. And that's why when all the truth about Michael came out later, a lot of these fans felt hurt, offended, let down. Now, thankfully, there were still a few that understood the situation and knew that Buff was a good person and knew that if they came to see him or said hello to him, he would say hi back. Like, Buff is very much a people person. If you come to talk to him whether it's at an autograph signing or out in public he doesn't care if you're gay he really doesn't he supports anybody being who they are loving who they are and being proud of who they are that's why we made that post on instagram during pride month where buff reached out to his lgbt fans and wanted to wish them a happy pride month and said, love who you are, be proud of who you are, because that's what everybody should do. And Buff is supportive of that. But of course, at the time, nobody saw a problem with it because Buff's Twitter page went up to about 30,000 followers. And Michael would brag about that, like, look, I made this Twitter page so popular. Yeah, but here's the problem. And again, this is where, if you're a social media manager, you understand this. If you're not, then you don't get it. But here's how it works. If you are on social media and you're just there to interact with people, you're just a regular person with a regular page posting content and your only goal is to get views and likes and clicks and get that validation, then by all means, get all the followers you want. But if you're on social media and you run a business or you are a brand, or you are a company, or you are an influencer. If you use social media in any way, shape, or form to make a living or help you make a living, then the number of followers you have doesn't matter if those followers are not purchasing your product. For example, of these new followers that are coming in that are LGBT, that's all well and good. But if those people aren't buying tickets to see Buff Bagwell at a wrestling show when he comes to their town, if they're not on the website buying 8x10s and DVDs and the stuff that we were actually selling, I'll get to that in a minute, if you're not converting your online audience into customers, the number of followers you have does not really matter. You can have 30,000 followers, but if only a small handful of them are actually engaging with you and purchasing your product, you just have numbers for the sake of having numbers. You just have the perception of reality. You just have something that looks nice. So really, when you're on a social media page, you need to ask yourself, how many of your followers actually engage with you and are purchasing your goods and services? That's the key thing. And the problem was, these LGBT people that were following the page were only following the page to see the LGBT content. They didn't care about nothing else going on in the world of Marcus Bagwell. So in the long run, this was counterproductive, especially when everything came crashing down. And part of the reason it came crashing down was because we made the mistake of trusting Michael. We thought he had good intentions. We thought he was part of the team. So admittedly, I didn't pay much attention to what he was doing on social media after a certain point because I was helping Buff with the day-to-day -day stuff and we were trusting him and everything was going well for a period of time. But then all of a sudden, Michael decided 
to not only use the Twitter page to spread his leftist propaganda, he then started using it to get money from fans by selling merchandise that apparently he didn't have and collecting money, none of which we saw a dime of. And that's why I, I try to emphasize that and make it clear to people. It's like, we didn't receive any money that was sold for this merch. This was all transactions between customers and Michael. And the evidence proves that. You've seen people who might have posted their transactions. You notice the transaction says either Michael Long or Javon Miller. Nowhere does it say Marcus Bagwell or Vinnie Bucci. You don't see none of that because there was no money coming our way. In fact, the only time we saw any money was last year at WrestleCade when we did the virtual signings. And that's because we were sending out the Marcus information. So the money went to us and then Michael was supposed to send stuff out and some of it he either forgot to send or he was too lazy to send or he took forever to fucking send. It was making excuses one after the other because all the merch went to him because he was shipping everything out because the only thing I ever shipped out was 8x10s and DVDs that were purchased off the website because Marcus and I were shipping stuff from the website but from the virtual signings that was all Michael and he was dropping the ball and that was our first sign that things weren't going right but all this other transactions that he was making online selling stuff we didn't discover until July I don't know how long I've been going but I discovered it in July and here's how I discovered it I'll tell the story right here. The weekend of Money in the Bank pay-per-view for WWE. Buff and I were at a show in Boaz, Alabama. And as most of you know, what I do on the day of pay-per-views, WWE pay-per-views, the main roster shows, is I would do live tweets. I used to, And I've been doing this since... Uh, 2009, 2010. So I've done this very early in my career as an entertainer. I did this before I even got on the regular guys. This is how I used to build my Twitter burst. This is how I built my fan base on Twitter. I would use hashtags and I would talk to people and I would post results and do live chats during the show on Twitter and Facebook. I would post the results throughout the night. Basically, as soon as a match was over, I would tweet what happened and send it out. And then go to Facebook, do the same thing. Well, obviously, for Money in the Bank, I wasn't doing that because I was in Boaz, Alabama. So my friend, Desmond, you guys know Desmond. If you're a Boochcast fan from long ago, you remember Desmond. He asked to go on the Boochcast Facebook page and live tweet the results. Do a live posting. He said, hey, is it okay if I do it for you? I said, sure, go ahead, no problem. So I go on my personal Facebook and I say, hey, go to the Boochcast Facebook page for the live results. Desmond is taking over. I then go to my personal Twitter page to say the same thing, to let all my Twitter fans know, go to this link for the live results because Desmond's going to be posting. Well, all of a sudden, I know there's a little bell at the bottom for notifications. And I have a fuck ton of notifications. So out of curiosity, I'm checking this. Now keep in mind, as I'm looking at this, I am standing at Buff's gimmick table at this Boaz Alabama show as I'm looking at my phone. And I and I see a post from somebody that says, and I quote, Vinny, does Buff know that you're scamming people out of their money or are you both in this together? That's the tweet that was sent to me. Now, my first reaction is, what the fuck is he talking about? I haven't taken anything from anybody. So I go and I check, and that's when I see all these notifications and all these people, and I discover that Michael is ripping people off. But once again, just like Alan Funk made the mistake last year, people kept thinking Michael and I were the same person. 
and we're not. Yes, there are a lot of similarities between us, but we're not the same guy. Like I said before, that guy lives in Ohio, and also he's gay. That's two fundamental differences right there. I don't live in Ohio, and I am not gay. Now, those are the two major differences between us. Other than that, we do have some similarities, but we're not the same fucking guy. And I even explain to people, I'm not the one taking the money, he is. So I'm seeing all this shit, and I'm trying to reach out to people, figuring out what the fuck's going on. I'm looking at histories, I checked everything, and that's when I discovered Michael was ripping off fans and stealing from them. And I'm sitting here going, what the fuck? And I'm yelling and screaming at my phone. This gets Mark's attention. He's like, what the fuck is going on over here? So I show him what's going on. And that's when we figure it out. So as soon as we got back from Alabama, we immediately sever all ties with Michael. Now, Michael, to his credit, he got smart. Because before we officially called him, he went online and gave out a tweet saying that Michael was severing all ties and go to the website because he was trying to cover his ass. Because he figured, hey, if I make this tweet, then people will think all this is buff and not me. And he would try to get off scot-free. Even today, he still tries to paint himself as the baby face in this whole fucking thing. Like, I was the fall guy. No, motherfucker, you were not the fall guy. You were the guy this whole time. It was fucking you. You conned buff. You conned me. You conned all these fucking fans. And it gets even worse when we found out more information about it. For example, I mentioned before about some of the transactions saying Javon Miller. Now, I'll admit, I found out about this Javon Miller Venmo thing a long time ago. When Buff wanted me to send something to Michael for what's going on, I got the Javon Miller. So I asked Michael, who is Javon Miller? And I'll give him credit. He had an answer. He said, well, actually, that's my manager. He handles all my Michael Long Entertainment bookings. Sounded like a valid answer to me. So I went with it. Come to find out, that's his real fucking name. His real name is Javon Michael Miller. Michael Long is a stage name. So that was the second thing we discovered, on top of the fact that he was scamming people. Then we find out, not only that, he's a registered sex offender in Akron, Ohio. That's why whenever his name came up and I would try to quickly go away, you would hear Gator say, fuck him, he's a kitty toucher. That's why he was saying that. We found out he's a fucking child molester in Akron, Ohio. He's a registered goddamn sex offender. Not only that, we found out he's been pulling other cons. Apparently, he did this same fucking thing to Just Incredible. So if you ever heard Michael talk smack about Just Incredible, turns out he did the same fucking thing to him. And I found out through a friend who I won't mention on the show, he recently tried to get in cahoots with the Barbarian. But because I know Barbarian and I know the guy that called me, I was able to tell them, no, don't fuck with this guy. And Barbarian turned him down so he wouldn't become the latest victim. And here's another thing I found out. This is just a personal thing for me. Not only did he try to undercut me on the Twitter, after the whole Vincenzo the Butler thing that I did for GCW, I made an appearance on the Male Soap Opera Moment, which is the podcast that I do with Wenz. And Wenz and I talked about the Vincenzo the Butler story. And he played a little clip of it. And I told the story about how we came up with Vincenzo the Butler and the fact that we came out there for Game Changer Wrestling, making a GCW debut. And Michael tried to paint this picture that I was saying Buff and I were working regularly for GCW. And the fact that GCW got tagged in the post, that it was going to upset Brett Lauderdale. So Buff, because Buff's the type of man that listens to two sides to every story, he comes and confronts me about it. I tell him exactly what happened. I show him the clip. 
And he goes, that's all you did? I'm like, yeah, that's all I did. He goes, well, that's not a big fucking deal. That's not a fucking problem. Buff was okay with me bragging about the fact that I got to be Vincenzo the butler. Buff has always been okay with me being excited about things or being involved in things. He tries to get me more involved in things. Now, at first, I was a little nervous about it because I didn't want to step on anybody's toes or have anyone think that I have an ego. But it turns out Buff's okay with me having moments like that in the sun. It doesn't upset him. That's another reason why I think Marcus is a tremendous person. So, of course, we try to go through the internet and find out all the people that have been wronged by Michael, as many as we can find, because we try to get these people to reach out to us because it's, it's almost impossible to find every single person that he's wronged. But we've talked with a few people. Some of them we've been able to fix. Others we're using as part of our, you know, case to build and everything else to show that we have solid evidence that these people were fucked over by him. And we're hoping that we'll be able to bring Michael to justice and the other people that will be wronged. Michael will have no choice but to pay them back because at the end of the day he's the slimy motherfucker who took their money and not only that i've even heard him stories about him using twitter account to put out a gofundme page to raise money for his dementia which we found out later he lied about we've even heard stories from other people where he lied about having cancer and conned money out of people that way like we just found out what a worthless piece of fucking shit this guy really is and i'll be honest up until that point i hadn't really hated michael but I definitely was not liking him. And there's a difference between me not liking somebody and me just straight up hating their guts. Because what really made me mad was him going over my head when I found out he did. And then other times where he would just say stupid shit that only Marks in the business would say. But for him to pull these stunts that he pulled and just the betrayal of all of this made me realize what a piece of shit he really is. And I'll be straight up honest right now. If after everything that's gone down, if you're still a supporter of Javon Miller, if you're still endorsing Michael Long, you're either incredibly ignorant or you're a piece of shit. Because there is no way with all this evidence that just came out, people can still support this motherfucker. And like I said, up until this point, I have not spoken on this issue. I've tried to keep my mouth shut. But now I feel like I'm at the right time where I can get this off my chest and say what I need to say. Enough time has passed to where I'm comfortable now talking about it. And just all that combination of stuff that went down, all those incidents with Michael and the rehab and Voldemort, I just realized I needed to get away. So that's why for a period of time, Buff and I kind of separated for a bit. And at the time, I really wasn't sure if I was ever going to work with Buff again. I didn't know. That's why, for example, the title of this episode was Getting Back to Being the Booch. Because while Marcus was in rehab and I was reevaluating everything going on in my life, I made the decision to get back on stage and start doing comedy. I got back on the open mic circuit so I could work out some new material that I had written but was kind of just sitting in a corner. And I was getting the hang of that again. I was getting my love for the stage back because even though I was doing private shows and things like that, it had been years since I'd done the open mic scene. I hadn't really gone out and done a lot of comedy shows on the regular like I used to back in the heydays of me doing comedy. Like I would say from the first time I started out till the time I started eating the car years ago, I was doing comedy almost all the time. But then while I was doing the documentary and eating the car, I kind of stepped away. Then when I started working with uh, UCW, it kind of took me longer away. And then when I started,
started, you know, working with Buff. That kind of took over too. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. Don't get me wrong. I love working for Buff. But I'm just saying I hadn't really had a chance to really go on stage and do comedy anymore. So I thought, okay, I'm having all this free time now. Let me get back out there. So, and I was, my goal was to get back on stage, rebuild my life. No pun intended with the rebuilding buff, but kind of just get my life back on track because I was doing a lot of other personal shit as well and let me just get back to who I am. And that was going to be my goal. And in a lot of ways, it's still my goal to get back to being the booch, get back to being me. That's my goal for 2023 is to get back to being me and getting my life on track and dealing with all of my shit and all of my personal problems and all of my demons and everything I got to handle. So that was pretty much my mindset. And it's also what led to uh, the return of Booch Fest, which basically became something that happened out of an accident. Uh, like I said, I was getting back on stage doing stand-up and I was just leaving work. So I found out there was an open mic in Marietta at this place called the Play Bistro. So I go down to the bistro. I look over and I realize it's not a bistro anymore. It's now a cafe. And I look in the cafe and I realize the inside of the building is condemned. There's like dust everywhere, shit's unplugged. It looks horrible. So I'm like, well, I guess there's no comedy here. So I check and I see on the list, because I have the open mic calendar from the Atlanta comedy scene, and I see a place that's called Anchor Bar in Kennesaw. was still on there. So I hop in the car. It's about 20 minutes away. I drive to the Anchor Bar in Kennesaw. I got my tripod. I got my stuff. I'm looking around trying to find where's their stage? Are there comics? What's going on here? And as I'm wandering around this restaurant, all of a sudden the owner comes up to me. I found out later he was the owner. I didn't know at the time. And he says, can I help you? And I go, oh, yes, sir. Um, I'm here for the comedy show. He goes, comedy show? I said, yeah. He goes, I canceled that a year ago. And I just looked at him like, really? He's like, yeah. I go, well, I'm seeing here on this list. You guys are still on the calendar. I'm sorry about that. And he was at the calendar. I said, well, I was just a comedian coming here to do some time. So I thought maybe this would be a good spot. And he goes, wait, 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 you're a comedian? I go, yes, sir. He says, can you wait here for a second? Just kind of sit down. I'll be right back. I go, okay. So I, so I'm sitting here in this table. I'm waiting for like 20 minutes. And then finally he comes back. He sits down and he starts asking me about my life. So for about 45 minutes to an hour, we're sitting there and I'm telling him all the stories about my life, comedy and radio and Adult Swim and HBO Max, working with Buff, everything. And he tells me that he's been thinking about starting the comedy show back up again. And then he asks me if I would like to run it, basically host my own show, bring up comics and everything else. So we talk everything out. We agree on a price. Basically, I want to do it differently than I did before. Instead of doing a ticket sale thing or a percentage sale, I just say, give me a flat rate. We do no cover charge. And I'll I'll bring the comics. And he says, okay, sounds good. So we work out the deal. All of a sudden, I start trying to call in all my favors and I realize every comic in Atlanta, just about every comic in Atlanta that I came up with, that I started out with, that are all my friends, part of my comedy brotherhood, have either moved out of Atlanta or stopped doing comedy altogether. Or some of them stay in Atlanta, but they only do paid gigs now. And obviously I don't have the budget to pay a headliner, so I'm kind of stuck there. So I get back on the open mic scene I start hitting every open mic that I can trying to find comics to recruit to come do the show and we've done four shows this year uh, the show's now been put on hold till further notice but we did four shows um, two of them were fantastic the first show was kind of a train wreck the second show was awesome the third show did very well and the fourth show we just survived because it was basically you know bad weather and the holidays so we made do with what we had and right now the show's on hold and they're going to let me know when they're going to resume it and hopefully everything works out but in 
the meantime, I definitely plan on in 2023 hitting up a lot more open mics, trying to get my new material worked out, trying to get a good solid comedy set that I can put on YouTube and start using as a new demo tape and letting people know that the booch is back and uh, really just get back to being me and get my career back on track and hopefully get some other gigs and things of that nature. So as I'm getting in this mindset and I'm getting back on track, all of a sudden, one day I'm sitting at home on a Monday editing the Boochcast. I think it was one of my uh, Lance Goodman football segments when all of a sudden I get a phone call and it's Buff Bagwell. Now, the last time we had spoken was when he got out of rehab and we kind of just decided to take a break from each other. So I hadn't talked to him in months. So he asked me how I'm doing and he called me from a different number. I didn't recognize it. And he asked me how I'm doing. I said, I'm doing okay. I asked him how he's been and we're kind of having a chit chat. And then he asked me, what are my plans for the holidays? And it was Thanksgiving. So I pretty much told him I didn't have any plans because my brother and I were basically, it was just the two of us because my mom was going out of town like she is at the time that I'm recording this to, um, you know, spend time with my dad and also help him through his surgery. And Buff invites me to spend Thanksgiving with him and his niece. And his niece I haven't talked to in forever. So I said, yeah, that'd be great. And then he also invites me to go with him to WrestleCade this weekend. And, you know, he felt like, you know, we had spent enough time apart and he was open to me coming back onto the team and working with him again. And first thing he told me was that Voldemort is no longer in the picture, which is the first thing I would have needed to hear before I agreed to any fucking thing and obviously of course did he pay me for the time which I already knew he would do that because Marcus is always taking care of me whenever I work with him so I agreed so we went to Thanksgiving and I got to see Jonna again and Chip again and their two kids Remy and Rhett who are great I got to see the new baby River which is uh she's such a sweet little angel and we got we watched football we all talked had a good time I think I met um I can't remember if they're I think they're Chip's parents that I met um I said hello to them they're fantastic people as well and after we were done there we uh crashed over at the accountability crib and then we got up and we drove to wrestlecade and we had an awesome kick-ass weekend you know it was great we got to see a lot of uh, a lot of old friends down there a lot of great fans came out you know and everything was amazing you know, and I got to see Marcus really embracing his sobriety, which is so fantastic. And I'm seeing now that Marcus is sober and taking it seriously, I am now at a point where I'm finally seeing the difference between Marcus sober and Marcus on pills and alcohol. Because I was used to seeing Marcus one way and only seeing rare moments where he was really, really, really fucked up that I didn't realize just how different of a person he is when he's sober. And it's such a breath of fresh air. Like, like now he doesn't pass out in the car much anymore unless he's like really, really tired. We're jamming out to music. We're listening to a lot more music. We talk a lot more in the car. You know, it's just, we're, we, we've really bonded over that weekend, like more so than we ever have. And I even remember we went to a Texas roadhouse to get something to eat and usually because Marcus has a crutch we have this routine where we I pull up to the front of the restaurant or wherever we're at he gets out and walks in and then I go and park the car so that we don't have to walk very far so I go park the car and I remember when I walked into the Texas Roadhouse I was having an anxiety attack because my first thought was, please don't let there be a beer on the table. Please don't let there be a beer on the table. Please don't let there be a beer on the table. Because that's why I was freaking out. I was worried there was going to be a beer on the table. I walk in and I see a Diet Coke and water at his table. 
That is the first time in all the years I've known Buff, all the years I've worked with him, that he had water at his table. I was blown away in a positive way. I was so proud of him that he is truly taking this seriously and doesn't even want it anymore. Like, it's amazing to see. And again, I was so proud of him. And I know he does, like, Zoom, online, AA meetings, you know, regularly. He takes them seriously. He shares his story. He's been doing, you know, you know, a meeting, taking meetings and everything else. And he is really embracing sobriety. Like, he came out with a video being 117 days clean. Obviously, it's longer at, by the time this comes out i mean he is becoming the inspiration that everyone knew he would be if he took this seriously and um, again i'm so proud of him and i look forward to seeing what we do in 2023 and i know that now that he's getting sober and taking it seriously um i'm pretty sure it's going to be my turn to go through a transformation because I remember one time uh, Marcus and I, this is back when he was starting out in the change your diet process. We were talking one time about me, you know, being overweight, needing to get in shape and eating unhealthy. And one time I just looked at Marcus and said, you know what? How about we focus on getting you better and then we'll worry about me. And I kind of said at the time, because first of all, I was going through a phase where I was getting tired of people telling me I need to lose weight. And I know Marcus means well, but he, just, he was the lucky like one millionth person to say that to me. And also because I knew that for us to be successful, his health was more important than my health. Because no one was giving a shit really at the time that I was fat. They were more concerned with him being on drugs and alcohol. It's like, dude, let's, let's get, let's fix you and then we'll worry about me. Well, it looks like Marcus is fixed just about. So it's going to be time to worry about me. And all I have to say about that is we'll see what happens. And another highlight in the midst of getting back with Buff is the fact that I've been helping him out a lot at the DDP Yoga Performance Center and the fact that the uh, the crew down there is, you know, embracing me and the fact that I'm, you know, still in the good graces of, um, you know, Steve Yu and DDP because at the time I wasn't really sure, but it's nice to know that they see me as somebody who really does care about Marcus and actually wants him to get better, even though you know, I'll admit this now. There were times where I probably should have said something, but I was afraid to. And I think they understand now that I was afraid to say what was going on. It wasn't something that I was okay with or I was enjoying or I was endorsing. I was just afraid of getting Marcus in trouble at the time. I didn't want to risk fucking things up for him. And now that he's on the straight and narrow path, I am determined to help him in any way that I can stay on the straight and narrow path. And of course, there were some other things that went down uh, this year that are uh, not as crazy, but still things I want to address here before I officially wrap this episode up. The first, of course, is uh, performing at Tavern on Medlock with Jim Gossett, uh, having him as a guest on the Boochcast, getting to open for him was great you know Jim is a very talented comedian and radio personality and I do appreciate my old friend Spacey uh, reaching out to me having me interview Jim and the two of us getting to meet and get to know each other also Jim came and performed at one of the Booch Fest episodes and I was so appreciative of him coming out and doing that like Jim's a genuine good person and 
and you know he's very very funny and he's one of the few people that can do political humor and actually be funny because most political comics aren't funny at least not to me so the fact that he's able to talk about politics but do it in a funny entertaining way is one of the reasons why I was you know glad to work with him and hopefully we'll get to work together in the future and of course another major moment was getting my car fixed that summed up a good chunk of my year now as you guys know I drive a 2012 Kia Forte uh, it's still going uh, strong but it is definitely um it definitely doesn't have a lot of bumps left on the bump calendar as they say in the wrestling business um the first big problem with it was there was a huge grinding noise that started out very minor but then got very major and it wasn't until uh i went to dallas for wrestlemania weekend like a little bit before that was when it was getting really bad and buff was kind of noticing it and telling me when you should get it looked at which i thought about doing and was going to do uh after wrestlemania weekend but then my dad noticed it before I went out of town so while I was in Dallas my dad was nice enough to go get the car looked at and get it fixed so there was a grinding noise the alignment was off that was causing the grinding noise so we got that fixed and everything was fine but then a few months later I started hearing noises again and I'm like what's the problem so I drove to a Pep Boys thinking that this would be a quick thing turns out it wasn't a quick thing I ended up sitting at Pep Boys for half the fucking day and then I discovered that there was a problem with the brakes. The brakes were messed up. They needed to be fixed. So my mom, after leaving work, came over, helped me get the, you know, brakes fixed on the car, like paying it off and everything. And then we got in the car and left and then came back and got the car after the brakes were fixed. So we got the brakes taken care of and everything was fine. Then all of a sudden, it was making noises again. I'm like, fuck my life. What is this? Well, my brother, when I picked him up, he discovered there was a problem. So we checked it on our own and we found out that the pistons were going weird. Well, it turns out one of the spark plugs was leaking oil. We needed new coilers. So we bought the parts to get that fixed up. Oh, I should say my brother bought the parts. Because um, if I don't say that, he's going to be like, Vinny, what the fuck? I don't want to go through that. So after that, we had to take it to uh, another place and we found out the uh, fuel injector was messed up. So we got it fixed there. So we went through a lot of stuff, but the car was able to get fixed and now it's running smoothly. There are no more problems and hopefully the car will last me a good long while because I am not in a rush to get a new car, nor could I afford it at this current point in time. So I'm glad that the car is completely fixed, but that was definitely... Definitely another chunk of the year 2022 was figuring out what the fuck was wrong with my car and solving the problem. And speaking of problems, there's at least two that happened this year that have definitely uh, fallen into the category of what I was referring to earlier as real shit. And I think I'll end this uh, episode talking about these two. Uh, the first one is obviously the Keystone Pipeline. Yeah, the Keystone Pipeline that we decided to shut down in order to quote unquote, and I'm saying that because you can't see the air quotes that I'm doing right now, stand with Ukraine. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is just another Another example of the government putting other people before their own people. And just to be clear, because I know there's some libtard that's going to flip around what I'm trying to say right here. When I say own people, I am referring to Americans. 
That's what I'm referring to. This is not a skin color thing. This is not a gender thing. This is not a sexual orientation thing. If you are an American citizen who lives in the United States of America, this is going to fuck you over royally. Because once again, and I gotta say this because they're the ones in power right now, the Democrats have this insane obsession with not wanting America to be self-sufficient in any way. They want the people to be completely dependent on them and they want the country in general to be completely dependent on other nations because that's where we're at right now. It's where we've been since we stopped drilling for oil, period, because we had to protect the natural habitat of the Mexican staring frog of southern Sri Lanka. Well, I say fuck the frog. I want cheap gas. Let's drill for some fucking oil. And if we did that, if we actually used the oil that we have sitting in this fucking country, we would be more self-sufficient and wouldn't have to depend on other people. And if we weren't so obsessed with getting free money and other free shit from the government, we would be more self-sufficient as humans. Because look, it sounds good in theory and on paper for the government to give handouts and people to take it or want free shit from the government. But here's the thing, and I've learned this in my lifetime. The more you depend on anybody, government, people, otherwise, to give you stuff, the more they own you and the more they control you. The more self-sufficient you are, the harder it is for someone to control you because you don't need anything from anybody. When you need something from someone, it you give that person or that place or that thing power over you. It's how people gain control in relationships, the toxic people you're around. You know, they have something that you need and they set it up to where they're the only person that can provide you with that and you can't get it anywhere else. That's why when you're around toxic narcissists, they do everything they can to shelter you and pull you away from your family and your friends and the people you know. Because if you are able to sever all ties with them and have only ties to that one person, that one person now owns you. Because they know if you get around other people, it'll throw a monkey wrench in the narcissist toxic person's whole program. And that's how the government is. They're giving you free stuff so you'll be dependent on them. So you'll keep voting them in. You'll keep giving them power. You'll give them exactly what they want and they'll just continue to fuck you over day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, and year in and year out. And what I find the most hilarious about all of this is the fact that Russia invaded Ukraine under Biden's administration. Yet for four years, all you would hear from the left and from people with leftist mentalities is how Trump was a puppet for Russia. That he was in cahoots with Russia, that him and Putin were doing some type of weird conspiracy and that Trump was a puppet for the Russian government. Yet, during those four years that Trump was president, guess what? We never went to war, did we? Trump never declared war on any country. At best, he made a few threats. Like he told North Korea, don't fuck with us and we won't fuck with you. But if you come at us, we will respond. Which is what a person should say. That's literally what that was. And here's the funny part. During when Trump said that, everybody lost their fucking minds and thought we were going to war with the North Koreans. That Trump was going to get us in a war because of his ego. And yet, 
what happened? Trump and Kim Jong-un shook hands and basically said, yeah, we're not going to fight each other. Everything's cool. Not only that, North Korea and South Korea shook hands and made peace under Trump. And here's the funny part. As soon as they started shaking hands, all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, Trump is a traitor and he's, and he's siding with North Korea. It's like, no, first of all, dumbass, that's not what happened. And second of all, if you're afraid of going to war with somebody, wouldn't it be more reassuring that that person and the leader of our nation are shaking hands? basically saying we're cool with each other yeah it means we're not going to fucking war all the worry you had about us going to war with North Korea didn't fucking happen and also Russia didn't go to war with anybody but notice when Trump left office and Biden took office all of a sudden Russia's invading Ukraine so when you really think about it was Trump really the puppet or did Trump have Putin on a string I think Trump had Putin in check because if he didn't have him in check think about it if Trump and Putin were working together and Trump was a puppet for Russia what why would Putin wait till Trump is out of office to invade Ukraine? Think about it. Think about this for a minute. If you are the leader of a nation and you have the leader of the most powerful nation in the world that has more money put into their defense spending than your country and a bunch of others, why would you wait till that person was out of office to go invade another country. Wouldn't you just invade while you have the president of the United States in your back pocket? I know I would. If I was the leader of another country and I had deep connection to the president of the United States of America, I'm going to war while that motherfucker's still in office because I know I'll have all the help I can get. And I would use every power and influence I have to make sure he gets reelected so I can keep fighting the war. That's what someone with common sense would do. So either Putin is the biggest dumbass in the world or all the Russian conspiracy theorists were full of shit. That's all I'm saying. And of course, once again, gas prices shoot through the roof. We got a 7% inflation. We got spikes in violent crime. We got 20,000 illegals per day at the southern border that we're expecting to come through. And none of that sees that as a priority. Ukraine is the number one priority. Because again, politicians, mostly Democrats, care about other nations more than the people here. They're more concerned with, again, bringing in illegals seeking that are quote-unquote seeking asylum while you got homeless people, most of them military veterans, freezing in the goddamn streets. But they won't lift a finger to help them. Celebrities will crawl on their hands and knees through broken glass to adopt children in other countries. Yet there are kids over here who don't have a home. Now I know these are cliches that you've all heard before, but I felt they bear repeating. But let me put this in perspective. This is the equivalent of being a kid on Christmas morning, running downstairs to open presents, but there are no presents under the tree because your parents decided to buy presents for the neighbor's kids. Because they didn't have the luxury of having a great Christmas last year. You know, again, it's a noble cause, but what about your child? Your primary concern as a parent should always be your child. That's why when, for example, when Trump was in office, one of the things he always said was America first. He never said America only. He's like, look, I'm all for helping other people. I'm all for backing up other nations, but we got problems in America and we should fix America's problems first before we go out and help other people. But for some reason, Democrats have this insane level of white guilt that is goddamn ridiculous. Or they have some type, or they feel guilty in some type of way that we as Americans are blessed with a lot of great things. Now, just to be clear, I am not saying that America is perfect and star-spangled awesome. It's not, okay? America has its flaws like everybody else. 
We as human beings are flawed like everybody else, but on our worst day, we are still the best place to be. And the reason you know that is because as I mentioned before, we're expecting 20,000 illegals per day at the Southern border. If America is not a great country, why are people still trying to get in here and not only want to come here, but are sneaking in here? Clearly, they are somewhere shittier. You don't leave one place and go to another place if you don't think that other place is a better option than where you're currently at. That that don't work, ladies and gentlemen. That don't work. And um, and I may never understand for the life of me why our government cares more about other people than the people living in their own country who actually vote them into power. And what's really going to make me laugh is the fact that I know there's some people who are listening to this and I've seen this a lot on social media during the whole Keystone Pipeline thing where that got shut down and the price of gas went up and, you know, everybody was rioting and pissed off at Biden. People nowadays actually have the audacity to say the president doesn't control the gas prices. I have seen this meme all over the place. President doesn't control the gas prices. Okay, well, here's my answer to that. Since when? See, I seem to recall in the early 2000s when the price the gas first started skyrocketing because in the 90s it was cheap as fuck because economic times were great but i remember during the george w bush administration the price of gas started going up to high ridiculous levels i know this because it was during the george w bush administration that i got my license and was gonna drive and i remember being disappointed seeing that the gas was insanely high and that as a college student i had to go to the gas pump and make life decisions which i still have to make to this day which is why i'll be brutally honest i haven't left my house in a week i stay home now every chance i get so i don't have to worry about burning gas in my car and also mileage issues and the other shit that i mentioned before about my car but anyway i remember everybody blaming george w bush for skyrocketing prices then I remember W leaving office, Barack Obama taking office, the price of gas going down, not insane amount, but down a little bit. Enough to where it was like we saw a, a bit of a change. And everybody praised Obama for bringing down the price of gas. Look at how everything's doing under the Obama administration. Then Obama leaves office. Trump steps in. The price of gas goes down even more. And it's not quite where it was in the 90s, but low enough to where it was pretty damn good to drive. And well, and Trump didn't get credit for that because Trump never gets credit for anything positive he does because he's not part of of the the clique he's not part of you know the corruption that's going on in the government so he doesn't get any praise for anything but we all knew that was a selling point for trump as well but now that biden's in office all of a sudden the president doesn't control the price of gas well here's the thing he may not be at every gas station setting the prices but he is playing a role in how they do business because if you don't have a lot of gas to sell you're gonna jack up the price so you can get more money. It's supply and demand. If you have a fuck ton of stuff to give out, you can make the price lower because more people will be buying shit. But if you don't have a lot of something to sell, you're going to jack the price up. So that way, when you're selling what little you have, you can still walk out with a profit. And Joe Biden deciding to shut down our portion of the Keystone Pipeline and preventing that oil that would have helped us lower the gas prices and make America more self-sufficient, he played a role in this. 
That's a fact. Because again, the government does not want America to be self-sufficient. They want us to be dependent on other foreign lands for other items and everything else. They want us to have that because for some reason they think, oh, if we do all these nice things, then everyone will love us. Even though, no matter what we say or do, there are other countries who don't like America. And part of the reason they don't like America is not just because of the freedoms that we have, but the fact that we have a lot of freedoms, and yet here in America, we whine, we bitch, we moan, we complain about shit. That's why other countries don't like us. Because we do nothing but complain, and yet there are people in other countries who would sell their souls to the devil to have the type of life that we live. So no matter how bad you might think America is treating you, there is another country out there that will treat you even worse. And yes, this is coming from somebody who just put the American government on blast. No matter how much bad shit I say about the government, I know there's another country out there whose government is even shittier. That's why no matter how bad I shit on the government, I still have love for the country. Because you can have love for the country without loving the government. They're completely different entities. And now that being said, I'm gonna get into the grand finale here and I saved this for last because it's probably going to get me the most controversy and of course I'm talking about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I have not spoken on this on any podcast episodes. I have not talked about this in private conversations, mostly because it hasn't been brought up. And I know at some point in one of the Dark Side of the 90s episodes that we have to record this year, this topic will be brought back up again. But I don't know how long I'm going to have to really talk about it in that video because we're going to be covering a topic that is beyond abortion. So... I'm going to use the time right now to speak my piece on this. And I'm sure there's going to be people out there going, Vinny, why are you even talking about this? You're a guy. This is a woman's issue. Well, here's the thing. Technically, you're right. This is a woman's issue. And the fact that it's a woman's issue is why for most of my life, I've kept my mouth shut whenever this topic has been brought up. I've been in college classes where this was a discussion and I would see guys and girls arguing and debating and going back and forth. And I'd just be sitting there reading a book because I ain't fitting to get involved in this shit because I knew a long time ago that when it came to this issue, my opinion as a man did not matter. Well, guess what? Now, apparently, it does. And I'll tell you why it does. Because first of all, we now live in a fucked up, crazy fantasy world where now men can get pregnant. That's right. We live in a world where there are pregnant men emojis and there's actually a Netflix show called He's Expecting, where if you're a woman and you just say, I now identify as a man, they will put in the headlines, you are now a pregnant man which used to be a funny bit. In fact, there's a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger where he was a pregnant man because he took this drug called Expectane that allowed men to carry children to term. And it was a whole comedy. Why was it a comedy? Because we knew in real life that shit couldn't happen. Why? Because you don't have the necessary reproductive organs to deliver a fucking baby and house one for nine months. This was something only women could do. That's why it was a woman's issue. That was what separated women 
from men. And it's also why women, for a period of time, garnered respect when being pregnant, when carrying a baby, because we knew you were doing something that we could not do. Now, granted, men play a role in the conception of the child, most definitely. You know, you can, you can have a nice hotel, but without any guests to stay in it, it's just a building sitting there. But the fact that women carried it for nine months was what made this their fight, their issue, their problem, and why men respected it. But the second you start taking this gift and saying that anybody can do it takes away the specialness. Of it. Now, obviously, there are other factors that cause Roe versus Wade to get overturned, but it's hard for people to say this is a woman's issue when we can't even define anymore what a woman is or what womanhood is supposed to be. Now, just because we're saying that's what womanhood is supposed to be doesn't mean that women can't do other things. I know there's going to be some asshole out there saying there's more to women than just giving birth. Yes. But those are things that we as a species over time as we evolved added. But all that aside, here is my actual stance on abortion. I know that's what most of you are waiting to hear. How do I really feel about this? Here it is. I have only ever been against abortion for one reason and one reason only. And it has nothing to do with religion. It has nothing to do with wanting to force somebody what to do with their body or whatever the fuck. The only reason I've ever been against abortion is because it gives women something that men are not allowed to have. And I've learned they're not allowed to have, which is a way out. You see, abortion was designed originally to combat three things. And the reason I know this is because anytime you debate with somebody over whether or not abortion should be legal, women bring up these three things. And that is rape, incest, and major medical reasons. Now, if you are a woman and you get an abortion for any of those three reasons, I support it 100%. That's an acceptable reason to get an abortion. If there's something medically wrong and abortion is the only way to save your life because this baby's not going to make it for whatever reason. Okay, I get it. If you've been raped and you don't want to carry the rapist baby, you should be allowed to get rid of it. If you had sex with a relative and didn't have the common sense to use contraception or do a pullout method because for some reason people think that people in incestuous relationships can't pull out. That's weird to me. But anyway, obviously that kid's going to grow up fucked up through no fault of its own. So I get that reason as well. Those are valid reasons. The problem is less than 1% of the women in America actually get abortions for those reasons. The other 99% are doing it because they don't want the responsibility of being a mother. So they get rid of it. They can't handle the responsibility. They know that they're not qualified to do this. They know that this is not going to work for them. So they get rid of it. Even if the man who fathered the child wants to be a dad and wants the baby, it don't fucking matter. She can get rid of it easily. But on the flip side, if the woman decides, I want the baby, I want to keep it. If the dad says, you know what? I don't want this responsibility. I'm not ready for this. I can't handle it. And decides he wants to walk away. The woman can drag his ass into court and force him to be a dad and basically siphon money out of his bank account for at least a minimum of 18 years. That is where I have the problem. That's why I'm against it. Because I believe if the woman has a right to walk away, the man should have the right to walk away. Now on the flip side, if the woman is forced to stick around and deal with it, 
then the man should be forced to stick around and deal with it. Like for example, right now with Roe versus Wade getting overturned, if a woman gets pregnant, she can't have an abortion legally unless she goes to a state that allows it because now it's up to the state. Because that's the key thing here. Abortion is not illegal everywhere, at least not at the moment, but it's now left up to the state. So some states can decide whether they want to legalize it or not. It's allowing the states to have the decision. So if you're in a state that legalizes abortion, you can get an abortion. If it's illegal, well then you better start using birth control and make sure every guy you fuck wears a condom. That's all I can fucking tell you at this point. Or go move to a state where abortion is legal if you need abortions that fucking badly. That's pretty much where we're at. So that's how I look at it. The guy doesn't have the option to leave. So I don't think the woman should have the option to leave either. That's why I don't like it. That's why I'm against it. That's really the reason. I think that's bullshit. And I know there's going to be some arguments with people saying, well, if he didn't want the responsibility, he shouldn't have had sex unprotected. Really? What did the girl do? If she wasn't ready to have a baby, she should have also worn protection. Because here's the thing that women don't understand. When it comes to sex, you are in control. This whole thing revolves around you. In order for a man to have sex with you consensually, you have to let it happen. At the end of the day, you have to spread your legs for the man to enter you. And you have to do it on your own free will or else it's rape. So if you had sex with a guy and got pregnant and it was consensual, both of you were being irresponsible and fucking stupid. And if he wasn't going to put a condom on, you as the woman, I believe, should have had enough sense to either make him put one on or don't spread your legs. I'm just saying, both can be at fault for being stupid and irresponsible. And I've heard every argument there is about this whole thing where it's like, you know, don't tell me what to do with my body. Well, don't tell me what to do with my money. That's another thing. Don't tell me how I should be allowed to spend my money. And also, here's another thing about abortion that I will say. If it's your body and your choice, you should have to pay with your money. The government don't owe you shit. That's a little side note. But that's the thing. And then some people say, well, it's my body and it's my choice and no one should be able to tell me what to do with my body. I'm sorry. What have you, what has been going on here for the last two years? Oh, I seem to remember a little thing called the vaccine where people were literally forcing people to put something in their bodies that they didn't want there. And the big thing was about, it's about other people. You're being selfish. Think about other people besides yourself. Really? You got a baby inside of you. I don't see you thinking about that. I see you thinking about yourself. So if I'm selfish for not getting the vaccine, I think you're selfish for killing the baby. Because you can say whatever you want and talk about whatever you're doing. At the end of the day, that's what the abortion is. You can paint it however you want to help yourself sleep at night, but that's what the fuck's going on. And then I've heard some people say, well, I have to carry the baby for nine months. Well, as a guy, I gotta pay for it for 18 years. Nine months of housing and maybe a couple hours of pain, provided you're not smart enough to get an epidural. Meanwhile, for 18 years, this guy's siphoning money to pay for a kid. Seems like he's got a longer sentence to me. And then there'll be some people out there going, Vinny, you don't even know the pain of childbirth. Bitch, I passed a kidney stone. Since then, that whole giving birth argument, that don't fucking work for me anymore. Because I've said it before in my comedy act, and I'll say it again. Getting a kidney stone is way fucking worse than childbirth. And I'll tell you why. Because you ladies will give birth to a baby and go through that horrible pain that you so eloquently like to put it. And then, at some point, a year or so later, you will turn to your husband and say... Thank you, sir. May I have another? There are people out there who have multiple kids. How many people you know have multiple kidney stones? You have one of those some bitches. You don't ever want to see that fucker again. It was painful as hell for me. Because unlike you ladies, there's no epidural when you pass a kidney stone. In fact, 
The only time a man is ever given something for pain is if he has to have the kidney stone surgically removed because it's so goddamn big it can't pass through the dick hole. And here's another living proof. I have a friend, I won't mention her name, who has two kids and has passed the kidney stone. And she even told me the kidney stone was worse. So again, there is no argument you can give me. I, I'm ready for all of them, okay? And like I said, that's really it. Personally, if a woman wants to get an abortion and it's not my kid, I'm not going to give a shit because it's not my fight, not my problem. Now, if it is my kid, that's a different story because I believe I should at least be in on the conversation. If a woman is going to think about getting an abortion, that should be a conversation between you and the father of the child. That's why I get mad when, I say th when they say things like, you know, it should be a conversation between a woman and her doctor. So the dad gets no say. That's why I get pissed off. And it's shit like that that makes me not want to be a dad in life. Because it's like, why would I want to be a dad when my opinion is clearly not valued on anything? Why would a man want that kind of life? Like, if I got a girl pregnant and she wanted to get an abortion, I would be like, look, let's you and me sit down, talk this out. Nobody else in the room. No friends, no family. If you want to go see a doctor, I'll throw the doctor in the conversation too. But we sit down together and make that choice. And if after that conversation, if we had an adult honest conversation and the girl that I got pregnant decided she wanted to get an abortion, I would support it. But I would at least want to have the conversation and at least she pleads her case, I plead my case. This is assuming I want to keep it and everything would be okay. So like I said, I don't have the whole religious aspect attached to this. I really don't care. I don't bring religion into it. But I do have a problem with the fact that, like I said, it gives women a way out and guys don't have that option. And that's all I would ever ask for. Make it equal. If the woman can decide to cut and run, the guy should be allowed to cut and run if he wants to. Now, again, I'm not saying that that excuses the guy from being a piece of shit. But I also think that if a woman gets an abortion for any other reason other than rape, incest, or a major medical reason, then you are equally as shitty as the guy who's cutting and running. Because at the end of the day, that's what you're doing. If you're getting an abortion because you don't want to be a mom, you are running from the responsibility. Now, that's your choice to make, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have the right to do it. I'm just saying that is what you're doing. And now that I finally got that out of my system, and I know I've probably offended quite a few people on this episode, but I wouldn't be the booch if I wasn't a little bit controversial and didn't speak my mind. So that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this week's episode of the Boochcast, my year in review. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash the Boochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. Our latest episode of Dark Side of the 90s is going to drop this Thursday. It is a tale of two cults is dropping. This is going to be a crazy one, so make sure you guys check that out. And of course, we have other episodes of Boochcast Dark Side of the 90s to check out if you haven't seen them already. And of course, from now till February 9th, at least, we have episodes coming out every Thursday. Make sure you check them out. Check out our YouTube channel. We got great video content. And of course, 
Make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, January the 28th for the WWE Royal Rumble. This will be the first stop on the road to WrestleMania. We'll be checking out the women's and men's Royal Rumble matches to find out who will be main eventing. Nights 1 and 2 of WrestleMania 39. And of course, we have our live D&D show coming soon. Our Boochcast booking battle and a special treat already in the world. And of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is $0.99, cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WB Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since sold the Peacock, you got where to put that $9.99. $10.99, bring it over here. We got better content than the network. And unlike All Elite Wrestling, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. And the best part is all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We use to upgrade our equipment. We use to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and you believe they're going to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the recipe Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid and until next time this is Vinny Bucci aka the Booch saying keep on living life and take care this has been the Booch cast we'll talk to you guys next time until then pizza baby well I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye goodbye so long so long farewell farewell adieu adieu be good stay well bye bye keep warm relax and eat take care stay loose adieu mon vieux à la prochaine goodbye till when we meet again <laughs>